for something completely different. Welcome to Shout Out. Out of the closet and into your ears. Hello and welcome to our second show in LGBT Plus History Month. This is Shout Out and I'm Andy Shilton. And I'm Steffi Barnett, carrying on the theme this week, Jamie Jamal. Uh, we catch up with him and also have his new track coming up. Hazel Dean. Oh, she's lovely, one of Steffi's favourites. She's talking about her experiences during the AIDS pandemic. And the history of Pride. Uh, with Hans, queer story, um, she's on the topic. Uh, all today on Shout Out. Yeah. Right, you're going to do your tatatas at a time? Ta 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 it would well, be amazing if she did get it exactly in time. It would, yeah. I would be dead in press. It'll be a first. Anyway, <laughs> Hans, hello. Hello. It's so nice to have and, you back. Uh, oh, it's wonderful to be back. I have been here. I've just been um, behind the curtains doing, you know, stage management and such. <laughs> Coming out <laughs> the curtains. <laughs> I'm ready. So, I'm ready. I'm here. So is I'm there anything, is there anything like the closet? Is it anything like the closet being... Um, um, it's curtains? a little bit more spacious. Um, I can wander around a bit. There's more light switches. Um, yeah, there's even makeup. Makeup and costumes. It's, and talking, it's, it's fabulous. Talking a bit hidden in places from under them there stairs. Hello, Terry. Hello. Yes, I am. Hidden hidden under the stairs. And in that giant <laughs> hole. Down. Hello, Andy. <laughs> see, Hello. See. <laughs> I, I should come out all echoey. <laughs> hello, 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 hello. Yes. Yeah. So. I said, good evening, everyone. Good evening. Yeah. So. Hands. If yes. Do you wear string vests? Do I wear string vests? Would you um, wear I a can't... string vest? Would I? Wow. Um, if the price was right, Andy, I'd wear anything. No, no, we see, we'd be... We'd be <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Talking to the wrong person, Hans. I love you dearly, God. but... <laughs> <laughs> so cheap. <laughs> niche, niche markets, Andy. Niche markets. Mm, so we've talking, been, of, we've been... talking of niche markets, Terry. Old yes. people's homes. Yes, yes. Oh gosh, yes. I was thinking, wasn't I, earlier on about uh, how when we have uh, an old people's home, a senior citizens' home, as I should call it, which we're going to open as an offshoot from Shout Out. It's going to be called Shout Out at the end, and uh, we're going to we're going to have different LGBTQ celebrities doing the voices in the lifts. You see, Ooh. Alan Carr. I vote for Graham yeah, John Barman, please. John Joanna, Barman. Joanna Lumley, please, Joanna Lumley. She's not LGBT. But we should Don't have her care. Well, <laughs> I mean, after, after that appearance, shout, that's absolutely fabulous. You know. At the end, did you say? At the end end of time, at the uh, end of your life. I know, I was just thinking not, off the top of my not head. Not like, shout out, but not too loud in case you follow through. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> that escalated quickly, Andrew. Well, I was going to say, if, yeah. we, if, we, if we're going to talk about escalators or things like that, we, we could talk about oh, lifts yeah. and paternosters. 
And I guess oh, God. Uh, pa- hang on. Pass not, that's the lift that never stops that you just step in and that- out of that's really dangerous. Oh, yes. Didn't they have they, that in Fairfax uh, House? They so did they, have they that in Fairfax House, yes. They're, yeah, they're, they're not allowed to be installed anymore, but there are only a couple of buildings in the UK and the rest of the world where they are still that around. Fairfax House. Those on, of you that, don't know, one of the, um, it's where the galleries um, is now, the car park. That was yes. Fairfax House. It was the co-op. There was one in the NHS, in one of the NHS buildings in the centre as well at one point. Uh, sure. you, well, there, there was... There, was one um, in the Queen's body the BRI but that's long very much long gone it, uh, went, it went by the mid 80s well um, probably a good idea because they are extremely dangerous <laughs> yeah they're still alive they, and well in Romania last time I went there mm. I don't think it is necessarily the same thing but the lift without a door or without yeah. a wall yeah, and the lift just—you just step into it, and it takes you yeah. up or takes you down. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, when you're drunk. It's still it's, moving. Yeah. yeah, wonderful. Yeah, go around on a carousel. It's like yeah. Um, and you don't want to go over the top or under the bottom. It's like a I'm really told. cheap it version of the TARDIS. It flips you upside down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, was, yeah. it was good old times. Don't forget the buses had open back platforms. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. A, a Route the, Master 66. <laughs> Yep, He's still I'll away, trust you. <laughs> They're talking old school again. <laughs> yeah, Bristol buses always had um, open rear platforms. Uh, well, it is LGBT History Month, so history is the right subject. But before we do history, um, uh, we're going to pop across and um, talk to Jamie Jamal, who's uh, not really talking history, but he's got a new song out. So um, uh, have a listen to this. Back in a minute. My five on shout out. Hi, my name is Jamie Jamal, and I have just released a new single called Gone So Quickly Without Goodbye. A little bit of background behind this song. The first time I met the character in this song, um, who was called Paul, was at the Fleece in Bristol. And I came off a stage, and he enthusiastically came up to me telling me how much he loved my last song that I performed which was a track called Psychotropic and that he wanted to master it um, almost giving me no choice like I am going to master this song anyway I went round to his place the house of dreams as he called it um, and we we got to work and his enthusiasm was amazing and he exposed me to some new music, um, showed me things like Klaus Nomi, who I kind of knew a little, but I'd never really explored them. Um, we watched a documentary together. He was giving me pointers. I was telling him of my love for uh, artists like Lee Bowery and uh, Divine, Quinton Crisp and singers like Sylvester. Uh, and he he really embraced that. We, so we got to work on Psychotropic and he worked with... Uh, my electronic pick and mix duo this human condition he mastered most of our tracks and then in december 2019 it flashed up on my facebook that he passed away at first i thought it was some kind of sick joke or hoped it was uh, anyway it turns out it wasn't and he would passed on i'd only seen him a couple of months before um and we spent a lovely evening together and he he died very quickly of a short illness so i was a bit in shock the funeral um was held at the fleece in bristol 
He worked with so many people like Wolfgang Fleur from Kraftwerk. And, but more than that, he really championed artists like me, up-and-coming artists that are not really that well-known in the grand scheme of things. And his enthusiasm was incredible. He would, we would work on tracks and he would just say, sorry guys, I'm not mastering this, it's not ready. Whereas other people may have just taken the money and, and run. He didn't do that. He So he became our mentor, really, and taught us about the music business. And he was a, a very passionate chap. Um, I'd often see him at the Bristol Music Industry Network meetings, um, growling at people for not turning up to the live events and supporting things. His passion was so inspiring. And yeah, he was flawed like all of us. He had uh, many, many issues. Um he was challenging on every level and and I must say that's kind of what I liked about him as well he was no pushover so after his death he was on my mind quite a lot he he'd shown me lots of different types of music so through music remembering him making playlists putting on tracks and he he just wouldn't leave me so I started writing some lyrics to a piece of music I found from um, this was during lockdown two from a chap called Ewan Bedford on a site called Compose. Um, so I've never met him. I just found his piece of music, really liked it. Started writing these lyrics, kind of as a way of therapy. Didn't plan to do anything with it. Anyway, we got it mastered, and obviously that was difficult because Paul would normally be the the go-to chap for mastering, and suddenly he wasn't around. So the song was released on February the 5th and it's been really well received. I'm quite overwhelmed actually. Um, lots of DJs and people have picked it up and I suppose its title Gone So Quickly Without Goodbye is a current theme that unfortunately lots of people are relating to. I'd rather I didn't have to write the song, I'd rather I'd still have Paul here and I'd rather people didn't relate to it which is an unusual thing to say about a song because that's absolutely what you want people to do is relate to it. But in this case, obviously the pandemic and what's going on around the world, I, it, it seems to have struck a chord with people. Um, and I must say, I, I, it's not for me, it's not about um, coronavirus, it's about the, the memory of Paul. Um, and when I stand on stage singing it, I want to be re reminded of him in that moment when I have a moment each time I'm on stage with Paul or each time I perform that song. I hope that you enjoy my song, Gone So Quickly Without Goodbye. If you want to look me up, I'm at Mr Jamie Jamal on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you. If you have a story you could tell in five minutes, get in contact. Visit us online at shoutoutradio.lgbt. Shout out. LGBT radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. That's uh, Jamie Jamal and uh, gone so quickly there. Um, Very um, moving, I thought. Yeah. Uh, nice to actually, it's really nice, to, especially when you can hear the, the story behind the music. It's something you don't get from some of the big artists and it's like, Very you know, true. some big studio interviews. And so it's really nice we can uh, kind of do yeah. that with people like Jamie as it's well. It's very personal, so. isn't it? Mm, yeah. 
Yeah, so um, and, and kind of, I mean, especially, I mean, the problem is I've also just watched things like it's a sin as well. So um, um, yeah, I don't 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 think it's related. I don't know. I mean, Jamie didn't say that, but you know, um, illness is still a illness. It's not not a nice thing, especially if it leads to someone passing away. You know, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just kind of bringing back. It's a sin to me. It's <laughs> interesting. Uh, I'd like to know. He was mentioning. Jamie was mentioning that uh, he's become a fan of Klaus Nomi. And if you don't know who Klaus Nomi was, I do suggest you look him up. A great German queer hero. Yeah, and really wonderful performer. Yeah, very very interesting because he's a performer that does very many different genres and also did some yes. uh, music has influences on David Bowie. And yes, appeared, I, I, he worked with Bowie, didn't he? I believe he did. Um, yeah. And he appears in the Ashes to Ashes video as well. I did not know that. Right, I'll look. I'll look out for him in it. Fabulous. Cool. Well, in Andy. the meantime, um, Terry Hans, you ready for some news? We are Might indeed. Be. Cool. Here we <laughs> this is Shout Out News Headlines on Thursday, the 11th of February. And we start tonight with our own message of solidarity with independent media in two of Europe's most homophobic and transphobic countries. In Poland, privately run television stations are off the air today in protest against the state's increasing interference in their operations. And in Hungary, the state is poised to close down on the last remaining non-government radio station, Club Radio Budapest, which is critical of the highly reactionary regime of Viktor Orban. These are dark times for independent media in Eastern Europe and we note that one of the last barriers against the rise of dictatorship is free media sector. Euronews reports that a far-right-wing rapper in Austria has been apprehended and accused of making anti-Semitic and generally extremist music. Some of the man's material had been used by the 2019 Halle terror attacks perpetrated by another extremist and which were streamed online to the beat of this rapper's music. Euronews said that the police in Austria have been working for some time to investigate and bring a case against the rapper. Gigi Angel writes for the respected HIV and AIDS resource hub, thebody.com, on the mulifarious health benefits of the orgasm, whether we are male, female or non-binary. Gigi says in an age of COVID-19, orgasms are one of the few joys we're allowed to have these days, and she invites us to enjoy the pleasures of responsible and safe online porn, our sex toys and our imaginations as we discover a natural high that she believes we should have at least three times a week. Going into the science of, of biology, Gigi says that regular orgasms decrease stress, boost the immune systems, flood your system with natural and non-addictive feel-good chemicals and can even decrease pain responses. Now, a spoiler alert if you're still to view the AIDS-era drama It's a Sin. The queer actor Callum Scott Howells has spoken several times to the LGBTQ pages of media and drama website Digital Spy. This week, he discusses the tragic conclusion of episode three of the acclaimed drama when his character, Colin, passes on from an AIDS-related illness after experiencing declining health through the episode. Callum said that representing the experiences of so many young gay men whose lives were cut short by the 1980s AIDS pandemic was enormous and that he'd been nervous about the requirements of the role, but he also said it was a privilege. 
Independent newspaper B247 reports that a collaboration between the University of Bristol, the Bristol Photo Festival and HIV activists will see a visual documentary project investigate how living rooms are organised by people living with HIV in the city. Led by Dr Adrian Flint, the documentary photographer Marit Gunshar, the project is aimed at giving greater visibility to people living with HIV at a time where many illnesses have taken second place to COVID and when the issue of HIV has fallen off the public discourse radar to some extent. LGBTQ Christian groups such as One Body, One Faith will be sending their greetings for Lent as the traditional period of fasting in Catholic and Anglican traditions begins with Ash Wednesday on the 17th of February. The previous day is Shrove Tuesday, of course, when fatty foods and treats are traditionally used up before the period of Lent. Lent itself is a period of 40 days before Easter, during which people usually give up something dear to them, like chocolate or alcohol, and it ends in Easter week. And New Year greetings to our listeners in China, all from a Chinese background, as this Friday will mark the first night of the Chinese New Year, a festival that goes on for 16 days, with the first seven of them being considered a public holiday. We are moving to the Year of the Ox in the Chinese Zodiac, but the cycle is more complex than that, with different elemental signs also cycling through, combining with the primary sign to create a 60-year progression of characteristics. Foods consumed for the New Year include spring rolls, dumplings, noodles, steamed fish and steamed chicken. Vegetarians, it might be a countryside stir-fry containing seaweed, lotus petals and bamboo shoots, amongst many others. For these news stories in further detail and much, much more, you can always check out our website at shoutoutradio.lgbt. For Shoutout News, this has been Hans Peregrine and Terry Starr. Shout out news, national and international LGBT news for you. Shout out LGBT radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. That's uh, Brooke Tate and uh, Kind of Boy, which, um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Steph's out on the 26th of this month. It is, yes. So lovely, lovely song, lovely song that one. Yeah. I didn't, uh, we we normally kind of like chip in towards the end of a song, but that was so nice. I, I, I actually lost track of the last few minutes of that because I was just engrossed. Yeah, this um, previous one was um, was uh, was very very popular and very good as well. Good artist hmm. and friend of shout out. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, now talking of friends of uh, shout out, of course, uh, Steph. I mean, uh, you're like besties, aren't you? You and Hazel really. Let's face it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, I've met I've met her quite a few times and yeah. interviewed her. Oh, she's yeah. lovely. Um, she's so nice. She and Hazel, is. Yeah. Hazel, thank lovely you so lady. much for doing this for us. It, it's really nice, and like, I hope we hope we get to see you again um, soon. Um, but uh, she's very kindly sent us um, a short piece on um, her experiences um, going back to the eighties, um, kind of around the era that um, it's a sin uh, was set. Um, and you'll see why when, when, when you hear this. So have a listen to this. Hi, I'm Hazel Dean and it's LGBT History Month. Back in March 2020, I received an email asking if I would be happy for whatever I do being used in an up-and-coming TV series called Boys. The show later became It's a Sin, which has received enormous praise for its portrayal of the AIDS crisis of the early 80s. I first started performing in gay clubs in 1983 
right at the start of the AIDS era. My first appearance was at the infamous Heaven nightclub in London. As I waited backstage, I could hear the audience chanting my name. It was the start of a career-long relationship with my tribe, the LGBT family. At first, I wasn't really aware of what was happening, even though there were reports of a mystery illness filtering through from America from 1981, but nobody knew what it was. At that time, gay clubs in the UK, across Europe and America would be packed. Muscled, topless boys twirling with their fans. Checked shirts and bleached ripped jeans or very tight cut-off shorts. Moustached clones like a tom of Finland army. The air heavy with the smell of Kuros, Aramis and Poppers. It was hedonistic and very promiscuous. Then it happened, the gay plague. Like most people, I started to read about it in the newspapers. Few will forget the terrifying gravestone TV adverts. The clubs went very quiet for a few months, but slowly people started to return. Many of the venues I worked in were exclusively men only, and if they were mixed, they were male dominated. So when the virus started to take hold, it was very noticeable. Beautiful boys started to go missing from the audience, and it was impossible not to be affected by the void they left. I started to receive requests from charities like the Terence Higgins Trust to appear at fundraising events across the country, which, of course, I always did. Like I said, this was my tribe. Terence Higgins was among the first people in the UK known to have died from the AIDS virus. He was 37 years old when he died in 1982. He was one of many two strong, vibrant young men lost, a generation decimated. People were frightened. Gay men were hated. They deserved this. It was God's punishment. I met so many people affected by the virus and over time I witnessed them disappearing. I myself lost friends. I lost close friends and people I knew from the club scene, but I was never afraid of men who were ill. I would always hug, shake hands, get kissed on the cheeks, etc. Nothing changed for me and at no point did I ever feel uncomfortable with my HIV positive fans. I visited AIDS units and one Christmas sang carols at three of the London Hospital Specialist Units. That was really emotional and I must admit I did come home and cry. Another incident that stands out in my memory took place at an airport. There was a guy in a wheelchair who recognised me. It was obvious that he was very ill from this dramatic weight loss and lesions. I sat on his lap and we had photos taken together. We laughed and chatted and I hope for those few minutes we spent together he felt like the strong handsome man he once had been. I got on the plane and again I cried. Our community lost so many so quickly it was total devastation. For those of you who weren't around to witness the gay pride plague up close and personal take time this month to educate yourself, your friends, your family and colleagues. Watch It's a Sin because Russell T Davis has done an amazing job of recreating this era. For those of us who were there, we know that we will never, ever forget the ones we lost on the way they were treated. I can never forget. Uh, I'm sure that touches and like with quite a few of you. So now um, at the top of that, you heard uh, talking about a song, uh, Whatever I Do. Uh, that was one that they were asking for permission uh, for. So have a listen to this. The Shout Out Podcast. Whatever you do, wherever you go. 
Oh yeah, lovely Hazel Dean and uh, whatever I do. Uh, I'm sure that brings back a few memories for a few people. Um, I liked it. Well, I, I, I actually love the recognise way, it. Yeah. I, I love yeah. the way, like, on It's a Sin, um, he really used the music of the time. Because I remember, um, and spoiler alert here, in case you haven't watched it, um, but the episode where Gloria dies at the end, they then played the song over the credits yeah. that is uh, Gloria. i like, well, you couldn't pick that better if you tried. <laughs> you know, He's just got a knack of doing that, hasn't he? And I know I'm biased, but um, the 80s were a fantastic era for music, yes, I think. Yes, they so really he's, were. My favourite. He's used, used those tracks. He's used brilliant well. tracks, hasn't yeah. he? Now, um, talking of history, hands is up next. Have a listen to this. Back to Queer Story, your monthly podcast about LGBTQIA plus people through history. February is LGBT History Month, and so I thought I would bring you an extra special episode about the history of Pride alongside the history of LGBT History Month. LGBT History Month is an annual month-long celebration of lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender history and the history of the gay rights and related civil rights movements. And it was founded in 1994 by Missouri High School history teacher Rodney Wilson. LGBT History Month provides role models, builds community and represents a civil rights statement about the contributions of the LGBTQ community. Educators and activists Sue Sanders and Paul Patrick organised LGBT History Month as a part of a Schools Out UK project, a programme that aims to educate young people about the issues members of the LGBT plus community face and to make schools feel inclusive for everyone, regardless of their gender identity or sexual orientation. In the United Kingdom, LGBT History Month is celebrated in February, which coincides with a major celebration of the 2003 abolition of Section 28. In Berlin, it's known as Queer History Month and is celebrated in June. Section 28, a piece of legislation introduced by Margaret Thatcher's Conservative government, stated that local authorities were not allowed to intentionally promote homosexuality or publish material with the intention of promoting homosexuality. And so this feels like the perfect opportunity to now look into the history of Pride. Pride is a many splendid thing and is now an event that allows for a time of reflection of the riots and protests that created awareness of deep-seated problems and energised people to take action to create substantial change. The movement for the LGBTQ rights in the United States started at least as far back as the 1920s when the first documented gay rights organisation was founded and since then various groups have advocated for LGBTQ plus rights and the movement accelerated in the wake of the Stonewall riots of 1969. The first documented US gay rights organisation was founded in Chicago in 1924. Henry Gerber, a German immigrant, founded the Society for Human Rights, the first documented gay rights organisation in the United States. During his US Army service in World War I, Gerber was inspired to create his organisation by the Scientific Humanitarian Committee, a homosexual emancipation group in Germany. Gerber's small group published a few issues of its newsletter, Friendship and Freedom, the country's first gay interest newsletter. Police raids forced the group to disband in 25, but 90 years later the US government designated Gerber's Chicago House as a National Historical Landmark. In 
Three years before Stonewall, a protest for gay rights started in another New York City bar. In 1966, three members of the Mattachine Society, an early organisation dedicated to fighting for gay rights, staged a sip-in, a twist on the sit-in protests of the 60s. The trio visited taverns, declared themselves gay and waited to be turned away so they could sue. Although the State Liquor Authority initially denied the men's discrimination claim, the Commission on Human Rights argued that gay individuals had the right to be served in bars. For the next few years in New York, the gay community felt empowered. Police raids became less commonplace and gay bar patrons, while still oppressed in society, had recovered their safe havens. The Mafia ran gay bars in New York City in the 1960s, and it was an unlikely partnership. But between New York's LGBTQ community in the 60s being forced to live on the outskirts of society and the Mafia's disregard for the law, the two became a profitable, if uneasy, match. The State Liquor Authority and the New York Police Department regularly raided bars that catered to gay patrons. Where the law saw deviance, the Mafia saw a golden business opportunity. A member of the Genovese family, Tony Lauria, a.k.a. Fat Tony, purchased the Stonewall Inn in 66 and transformed it into a gay bar and nightclub. To operate the Stonewall and its other gay bars, the Mafia bribed the NYPD to turn a blind eye to the indecent conduct occurring behind closed doors. They also blackmailed wealthy gay patrons by threatening to out them. The gay rights movement saw some early progress in the 60s, and in 1961, Illinois became the first state to do away with its anti-sodomy laws, effectively decriminalising homosexuality, and a local TV station in California aired the first documentary about homosexuality called The Rejected. In 1965, Dr John Oliver, in his book Sexual Hygiene and Pathology, coined the term transgender to describe someone who was born in the body of the incorrect sex. But more than 10 years earlier, trans individuals entered the American consciousness when George William Jorgensen Jr. underwent sex reassignment surgery in Denmark to become Christine Jorgensen. Despite this progress, LGBT individuals lived in a kind of urban subculture and routinely were subjected to harassment and persecution, such as in bars and restaurants. In fact, gay men and women in New York City could not be served alcohol in public due to liquor laws that considered the gathering of homosexuals to be disorderly. So, in fear of being shut down by authorities, bartenders denied drinks to patrons who were suspected of being gay or lesbian and would kick them out altogether. Others would serve them drinks but force them to sit away from other customers to prevent them from socialising. 51 years ago, on the morning of June 1969, the catalyst for Pride happened when eight officers from the New York City's Public Morals Division, a unit of the police department, raided the Stonewall Inn, a gay bar in New York City's Greenwich Village. This raid wasn't unusual in New York or many other cities back then because the Public Morals Division enforced all laws for vice and gambling, which included prostitution, narcotics and homosexuality, grouping them all together. So cops could arrest and even force hospitalisation of gay people. The Stonewall Uprising took place in the context of broader civil rights movements. The Revolutionary People's Constitutional Convention in 1970 was a key movement in which activists from black power, feminist and gay liberation movements came together, saw common cause and learned from each other.
The 1970s were characterised by radical grassroots and community-based activism and support. There were many splinter groups in the Gay Liberation Front. The campaign for homosexuality equality was a key driving force and the focus of activism was often explicitly focused on direct challenging heteronormative conservative norms of family and gender roles. Other community-led initiatives coming out of the 70s including Gay News, set up in 72, Switchboard 74 and Gays the Word Bookshop 1979. On the evening of the Stonewall riots, the patrons chose to fight back and started when the incredible Marsha P. Johnson cried, I got my civil rights, and threw a shot glass into a mirror, now known as a shot glass that was heard around the world. More and more patrons joined the fight, including people from neighbouring bars and mayhem ensued. Hundreds of people resisted arrest and fought against police oppression. Rioters broke windows, set cars on fire and injured three police officers. The police ended up barricading themselves inside the Stonewall Inn. New York City's tactical police force intervened, but even they were run out of the neighbourhood by the rioters. Things eventually calmed down, but once the word got out about the riots, thousands returned the next night to continue the protest. And it lasted six days. The rage and fever caused by the Stonewall riots helped catapult the LGBTQIA plus movement to a new level. Media coverage of the riots allowed others to see the LGBTQ struggle for themselves and to relate and to support those fighting for their rights. Events at Stonewall emboldened others to do what they could do to help too. The following year, the anniversary of the Stonewall riots was marked by a demonstration in New York, Chicago, LA and San Francisco. At first, the New York City Day celebration was called Christopher Street Liberation Day. In LA and San Fran, these events became known as Gay Freedom Marches and the day was called Gay Freedom Day. Chicago had Gay Pride Week. The parades were a mix of politics and celebration. They promoted visibility of the LGBTQIA plus community. They also served as a huge megaphone for their needs and rights, like protection against harassment, raising awareness of the AIDS epidemic and fighting for marriage equality. They gave a growing LGBTQ movement a voice and as support grew, that voice was heard. And it was in 1978 that the rainbow flag as a gay pride symbol made its debut at the San Francisco Pride Parade in 1978. Harvey Milk asked his good friend Gilbert Baker to design a unifying symbol for the gay community and the rainbow flag was the result. The original LGBT flag was hand-dyed and consisted of eight symbolic colours. Their meanings are pink, sexuality, red, life, orange for healing, yellow, sunlight, green for nature, turquoise for magic and art, blue for serenity and harmony, and purple, purple for spirit. The events of Stonewall and the liberation movements that followed were a direct result of prior decades of LGBTQIA plus activism and organising. In particular, Pride traditions were adapted from the Reminder Day pickets held annually between 1965 and 69 on the 4th of July at Independence Hall in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Something that I was unaware of until quite recently is that although the first official UK Pride was held in London, the first non-official Pride happened in the summer of 53, 21 years before London's first Pride, and after two gay miners, Eddie and Tommy, took to Blackpool Sands with several other people to make a stand. There was a brilliant stage production of this put on a few years ago, and there's now a film out titled Once a Year on Blackpool Sands, which explains these two men's experiences and what led them to walk peer-to-peer.
London Pride took place on Saturday the 1st July 1972 and was launched in a response to the Stonewall riots and then in 1981 Pride was not held in London but in Huddersfield as an act of solidarity with the Yorkshire gay community who claimed that West Yorkshire police were harassing them by repeatedly raiding the Gemini Club, a leading nightclub in the north of England at the time. In 1985, representatives from mining groups joined the Lesbians and Gays Support, the Miners Group, LGSM, on the march. This was in recognition of the support given to striking miners by LGSM. The controversy of Section 28 from 1988 led to numbers increasing on the march in protest. Since 1983, the march was called Lesbian and Gay Pride, and by the 1990s it had become more of a carnival event, with large park gatherings and a fair after marches. For 1996, following a vote by the members of the Pride Trust, the event was renamed Lesbian Gay by Sexual and Transgender Pride and became the largest free music festival in Europe. Pride London was formed in 2004. Since then, a political rally in Trafalgar Square has been held straight after the parade and in 2004 it was awarded registered charity status. In 2012, the event was titled World Pride, though this was to be the last event organised by Pride London. In late 2012, and the first international asexual conference was held at the 2012 World Pride in London. So we're coming to the end of this pod, and I feel it important to share here that although we still have the need to progress within the UK, we are able to live here as openly LGBTQIA plus people. Yet it's still illegal to be LGBTQIA plus in 70 countries, and you could be given the death penalty in 12. Yet the world marks 30 years since homosexuality was declassified as a disease. So we still have a long way to go in regards to equality and safety for all. International Day Against Homophobia, Transphobia and Biphobia, Ida Hobbit, is on the 17th of May and marks the day the World Health Organization declassified homosexuality as a mental disorder. Pride is now celebrated every year in many different countries, but it's important to know its history and what so many people did to allow us to celebrate being part of this wonderful community. Shout out of broadcast live at Bristol Pride for the last few years, and in 2019 I was part of this broadcast. I hadn't been able to experience Pride before, so it was a really special and unique way to be immersed in what Pride means, whilst also being surrounded by people within the community as well as LGBTQIA plus allies. I hope that we soon get to celebrate Pride again with our friends and family, but if we can't do it by marching through the streets and singing our hearts out to the brilliant artists who support Pride by performing for us, then I hope we all find our own way to celebrate at home. Thank you for listening. Part 3 of the Anne Lister story will be with you next month, and if you have any feedback, why not give us a tweet at at shoutout underscore radio. If you want to listen to this pod again, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and other platforms such as our website www.shoutoutradio.lgbt. For information about Shoutout Radio, visit us online at shoutoutradio.lgbt. Shoutout. LGBT Radio for you. The Shoutout Podcast. <laughs> uh, that's a. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> Was that Terry? <laughs> uh, that's not a sorry. Uh, by uh, Chloe Payne. It was I just coughed. I wasn't looking at the screen. Might have been me. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs>
Oh, clear your throat. So I'm even nice and put in the chat. I'm going live so you can cough before I put the thing up. <laughs> I don't know. Do you know, listening to that music really makes me miss clubbing, and that's not something I ever thought I'd miss. <laughs> wow. Okay. I, do. I, know. I, I, I don't know now at 42 if I could actually like do it the way I used to do clubbing in my like teens and 20s but I do oh, miss yes. what I could do in my teens and 20s in the way of clubbing because I used to have so much fun I mean I, 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 I remember I remember going <laughs> to heaven in the late 90s um, and the oh, time yes. of my life um, and yeah. I did the GAY Classic when it was at, at the Astoria um, that's right yeah which is now long gone it got knocked down to be become part of a new railway I think didn't it so I did yes mm. oh, yeah I used to go Shame. up to London to the Way Out Club uh, um, I think that was before uh, my time yes. that was, was that in, Vic, uh, Vicky somebody used to run it was it um, I can't was remember actually Terry yeah. but there was um, yeah uh, there was um, there were three of them up there that used to uh, used to run it in the east end of London quite close to Tower Bridge Oh. So, so how used to drive up and drive <laughs> yeah. back in one one night. We used to go yeah. up, me, club Steph. for about four or five hours, and then drive oh. back in the early hours. Yeah, my mate yeah. used to be the one that drove. I, I liked having a beer too much. So, but but Bristol <laughs> clubs. Um, how many of you remember Just? I don't mean Just yes. Wins. I mean oh. Just. Yes, yeah. 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 So, not me. Down at the bottom of the pit. Hey, I was I was telling Carl um, about it my other half uh, the, other, the other night and explaining you know it broke so many rules <laughs> I mean it had a coke co- co- can dispenser on on the dance floor that you put three pound in three pound for a pint back then was a lot of money it was about one pound eighty a pint back then but you put three pound in and it gave you a can of lager out after hours which was totally illegal <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely genius yeah. however it just, I feel like if they did that now bouncers would be livid well it it was members only club so you had to be a member and it was in the days when okay. all gay clubs were men only and they were protected spaces and they pretty much left you alone because the police just didn't want to come in unless they really had to you know so um, you got away with a bit more because it was a protected space but it got shut down it got knocked down it was down at the bottom of the pit hay for those of you that know yes. Bristol um, and all yeah, those well, shops yeah, actually got gutted and rebuilt and it was down there and then and there Wynn club, who, club 49 wasn't there as well there the was, yeah. that was before my time yeah. yeah club there was club 46 old market uh, right opposite um what was flamingos and wins before that wasn't it yeah. uh, that was that's just right wins. i remember club 46 yeah yeah, yeah, yeah he the moved old, it across um, didn't he he did uh, reminiscences, guys. Oh, yes. God, we go yes. back for years. I mean, the shilling's been around since the dawn of time. So, did you know the shilling used to be a biker bar? Uh, anyway, that's it for another week. Um, more LGBT <laughs> history stuff on its way over the next week's, uh, next few weeks, Don't. rather. Uh, are you finished now? Don't yeah, forget, yeah, you can listen again at any time on all good podcast services or online at shoutoutradio.lgbt. Uh, next week, 70s fashion, but for myself and the rest of the team, say Ooh. bye-bye, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Such fun. Shout out. LGBT Radio for you.